Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors, and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. Well, I'm sitting in that well-known retreat for silver investors, which is Costa Coffee, and I'm sitting here with the silver poke himself, David Morgan. Hello, David. Hello. And it's the day after the Silver Summit, and also at the Silver Summit was David Ben-Simon, who is the, uh, well, his book, Polar Perspectives, was the, well, tell us, David, what, what it won. Uh, I was delighted that it won the gold medal uh, in New York for Best Finance, Investment, or Economics book of 2006. Well, many, many congratulations. Thank you. We're going to talk about silver, and um, it broke up through $15.00 for the first time in I don't know how many years yesterday. Um, why don't you kick us off, I call him, David Morgan is Big David and David Ben-Simon is Little David. And uh, David Morgan, why don't you kick us off and uh, tell us where you think it's gonna go from here? Well, we had a consolidation from about the 1530 level in May of 2006 and it took, I'm guessing, about 18 months, haven't counted the months, to finally break through yesterday while I was speaking at the conference and now, and they did it on a gap up, so I'm expecting probably $16, $17, $18 here pretty quick. It'll exhaust at some point and probably come back. It may test the breakout point. That's usually normal in the commodities markets, but long term, I'm very, very bullish. Obviously, silver can move up and down. It's moving up currently. The major, major trend is to the upside, and I think everybody that's bought silver is very happy, and there's still, in my view, a lot of upside left in this market. Excellent, good stuff. Now, um, David, uh, this is little David now, you, uh, you gave an excellent presentation yesterday and um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your thinking, but um, the commodity and the index that you're, of all the commodities and all the indexes, the one you're most bullish about is silver, is that right? Yes, that, that's correct. Uh, in my work I, I focus on the, the very large scale uh, trends and, and cycles and, and waves in price and time. And uh, in my work, in the book, and in, in presentations and reports, I have uh, studied and, and come to the conclusion about where these markets are going over the coming decades. And uh, with some very fascinating and powerful turning points uh, that we saw from 2001 in gold, uh, in what is now a 13-year climb uh, on measuring about tenfold for gold, from 260 to 2600. Silver has an even more bullish structure and uh, will outperform gold over this decade uh, and the next five to six years by a factor of about three to four times. The target for, for silver uh, in the middle of 2009 uh, and 2010 is on the order of uh, resistance levels which are at 25 and 40. The main objective for silver in 2012 to 2014 is $160. Now, on a very large scale from a structural point of view, these are not uh, abnormal percentage changes for silver, for a commodity like that. Uh, historically, silver went from 25 cents to $50 between 1932 and 1980. Uh, the kind of movement that we're seeing now is actually very par for the course, um, but it is uh, a commodity that has supply and demand factors that are extremely favorable, and it has technical factors that are extremely favorable. So, yes, the fact that we're breaking out of 15 now is confirming the, uh, the next leg up, uh, in this very substantial trend. Now, I'd like to ask you a question, if I may, David. I, I saw your presentation yesterday, and it was very compelling. But, and, 
I say this as somebody who doesn't really understand cycles, but there's one guest who comes on this program very regularly, Michael Hampton, is a great student of cycles, and his market calls over the past year or so have just been, you know, phenomenal. But there's another kind of cycles guru who appears on a lot of these radio programs whose market calls are awful, and I mean, he just regularly gets it the wrong way. Now, with these cycles, it seems to me that you can look at a long-term chart, and it's quite easy to draw patterns after the event, and um, and then declare that that is a cycle, whether it's a four-year cycle or an 18-year cycle, whatever it is. Um, what do you say to that? There are, there are really two issues here. One of them is you have to know, first of all, what the fundamentals are of the market yeah. to understand what the direction is in price. And in my view, there are uh, all the reasons to, uh, to expect that we are in what I call a prosperity-driven inflationary era. So markets across the board, equities, currencies, commodities, and interest rates are all rising substantially over this coming decade and beyond. Interest rates are rising. Interest rates will be rising over the coming decade. They have already risen. We're in a slight pause now. Nothing goes in a straight line. But over the decade and, and beyond. From the technical point of view, there are very, very clearly demonstrable patterns, uh, surprisingly so, but demonstrable patterns of symmetry and proportionality, both in price and in time, uh, that guide the market. And the key is to finding these rhythms to look at the deep history of the market. You, you can always look at a, a small-scale chart and never quite grasp what the perspective is unless you look at the deep history. And I've taken, uh, in the case of gold, going back 1,100 years using uh, specifications of original gold coins, uh, also with silver coins. And the rhythm that I found for gold, which also is relevant for silver, is 68 years. There's an extraordinary uh, rhythm between the major events in the history of gold, from the inception of gold coins in the U.S. Uh, to the suspension of uh, convertibility for the Civil War, to the price peak of the Civil War, to the uh, confiscation of gold in 1933, and 2001 was the next uh, major date in that 68-year cycle. Now, other markets have different rhythms. Uh, in the stock market, for example, I discovered a 20-year cycle, which is the half period of a 40-year cycle, itself the half period of an 80-year cycle. And this, what I call the war cycle, is an 80-year uh, periodicity that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and so you have to find that uh, powerful history of the cycle to have confidence that it repeats over and over again. If you just look at short-term data, you can't have that, uh, that, that uh, depth of confidence. So in answer to your question, uh, how can some people get it right, some people get it wrong with cycles, cycles offer opportunities, windows of opportunity for a market to change direction or to accelerate uh, at inflection points. But the key is to find a confluence of elements. It's not sufficient, in my, my view, to just rely on a cycle or to just rely on an oscillator. You need the combination, the multiplicity of factors, to be able to have a high probability uh, case for a turning point. And uh, at the moment, we, we, are, we are in the midst of a high probability uh, advance for, uh, for gold and, and for silver. Big David, um, I know you're obviously a, a great uh, analyst of the fundamentals driving a market, but I also know you're, 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 you're a pretty good technical analyst as well. It's not something you kind of advertise about yourself, but you have good technical skills. I've read your newsletter and I can see that. Do you, how much of cycles do you use in, in your work? I, I really don't use cycles uh, that much. I rely on uh, friends like David here, and there's one other fellow that I have had a relationship with for two decades. 
that's pretty good on the intermediate term cycles. I look uh, more longer term as well. Uh, I'm not, although I do not look at the markets on a, you know, I look at them, I look at the markets on a daily basis, but I do not trade markets on a daily basis. I much prefer to do position trading where we might have a position on for several months at a time. I'm long-term oriented and I use uh, others' work in cycles to help me confirm what I do. So uh, cycles are not my forte, but I do have a very open mind and I find who's the best in their fields and, help, and use that work to help me uh, verify my own work. Just going to jump in on something there as well. There's a, there's a great duality in technical analysis between time and price. And time is relating to cycles, price is relating to waves and ratios and so forth. And there's something that's very, very important to mention on silver, uh, because gold is dominated by these time cycles. Silver, in fact, is dominated by uh, what is called the Lucas series. This is uh, related or similar to the Fibonacci series, which many of your listeners might be familiar with. Both of those series are based on uh, the number phi and the ratio 1.618. What's fascinating about silver, and to some extent oil as well, is that the movements in both price and time have been guided extraordinarily by Lucas numbers. That is, 4, 7, 11, 18, 29. Each of those in succession are added by each pair of numbers. Uh, we had a 47-year climb in, in silver from the major low in 1932. It was followed by an 11-year decline. That was followed by a 7-year advance, followed by a 4-year decline. Uh, the price movements as well. We went from 3.5 to 7.5 in between 91 and 98. That was a, uh, a $4 increase. It then fell back to a, to a support level at 4, again a, a Lucas number. We've then ro we then rose $11 from 4 to 15 essentially. We've then consolidated and finished at $11 just recently. We're now poised for the next big jump, which in following this sequence, following this pattern, uh, has a good chance of running about $29 from 11 to $40. A 40 is a particularly interesting level because on a, on a spot basis, the high from 1980 might have been $50, but on a what is called a back-adjusted futures contract basis of the, the front futures contract, the level was actually $40. So that is a very significant level of resistance, and when we get there, the market will react to it. But uh, given the pattern of behavior over the last couple of years, uh, as soon as we break 15, and we're doing that literally as we speak, uh, the market is confirming that it's on the way, en route to uh, the next major significant point, which is $40. But along the way, you'll have interim resistance at 25 to, to worry about. And uh, David, what's your, little David, you have a long-term target for, for silver, what's that? Yeah, in 2012 to 2014, the, the market will be reaching some very substantial overhead resistance, uh, and that level was at $160. Um, uh, this is what I call the era of prosperity. Prices are going up in, in silver and gold and, and oil and, and other commodities and, and stock markets because it's driven by real prosperity in the world. China, India, Russia, synchronized growth with Japan and Europe and North America. Everybody's making money, everybody is spending money, everybody needs resources. In the case of silver there, and, and, and Dave Morgan here had some fabulous uh, insights into some of the new industrial applications for silver. Uh, I wasn't even aware of some of these things that silver's used for in, uh, until his uh, presentation yesterday. And it, it really underscores why uh, there's strong and will be strong demand for silver. 
Uh, at the same time, we had a number of mining companies here in this presentation, uh, in this uh, conference yesterday at the Silver Summit, and uh, and they had a lot of interesting insights into why their supply, uh, tight supply issues uh, with uh, with silver in particular. And so the fundamentals are favorable to silver reaching these levels. Um, but it's also the case that the technicals allow us the confidence to know that it's safe to buy because this is how markets move and uh, nothing is guaranteed but it's it's a high probability trade. Do you own a lot of silver mining companies? Uh, I actually trade physical and futures when it comes to uh, to investments in the commodity world. I don't personally uh, trade individual shares. My specialty uh, coming from the institutional world where I traded foreign exchange and money markets for a decade uh, tends to be on the um, uh, futures uh, side rather than the individual share market. I leave that to uh, my friend David here who is the specialist on individual shares. Good stuff. Now, David, big David, let me ask you a question. One of the things that's concerned me about this move is the enormous short position, particularly in gold, in the comics. What's your comments on that? You, you follow the comics. Well, the commitment of traders is classically looking bearish from the fact that the commercial interests are heavily short the gold market. In fact, they're short, I think, more than... I've ever witnessed uh, since I've been studying the market. That doesn't necessarily mean we can't go higher. As I said earlier, we'll probably continue this move, this thrust up until it exhausts, and at that point, the market will back and fill, probably fill the gaps. But how low it's going to go, I don't know. I think that the, the commercials are not going to have their way this time. They have for many, many years in a row, and it's certainly probability-wise to bet with the commercial interest. But when these markets get strong, it doesn't mean that the commercials are going to be right 100% of the time. We may be seeing uh, a change in tide here that will be significant from this point forward. I was um, saying this all through July and August, the, the setup of gold and silver, there were just so many, uh, I think you would call it, little David, a fractal pattern. There were just so many parallels in the chart between the setup of gold and silver in um, July and August 2007 as there were with July and August 2005. The patterns almost exactly repeated themselves, which would suggest that we would see a move up now through till April or May next year, and we'd see a, a virtual double in the Huey and, and um, the equivalent rises in gold and silver. But what has happened now is just gold and silver have not paused for breath since August, and it's, it's almost like May 2006. Um, what do you think about that? I think that uh, silver in particular, the low at 11, which uh, I was fortunate to have forecast uh, back in my report in July that the market was going to drop from 13.5 down to, down to 11. I think the low in the futures was 11.06. It was a very significant point of support. Um, but you mentioned patterns, and the structure on the silver chart, uh, on a weekly chart covering the last couple of years, is very interestingly very similar to a monthly chart of oil covering the last 30 years. And in the case of oil, you had this big consolidation between 1980 and 1998, and it went up and down between 40 and 10 or 11 dollars, oscillating in this range. When it eventually broke 40, broke above the top end of that range, it doubled in value from 40 to 80. And that is a similar type of situation to what we'll find with silver, that it has had, a, since the top in May 2006, it has oscillated at a 
double top, double bottom type of uh, structure, in fact with a rising bottom which is more bullish. And we are now breaking out of the upper end of that zone. And the implication is that we're going to have substantial gains. The reason that silver is going to outperform gold is not only on the fundamental side uh, with the supply and demand issues. It also is the case that when you look at the chart of gold versus silver, the gold-silver ratio as it's called, I mentioned yesterday in the presentation that there are three ways in which the gold-silver ratio can move up or down, and for, in this case, for it to move down. Historically, it has gone you know, over a thousand years from six level to nine and ten, up to 15, 16 during the gold standard period, and then all the way up to 100, back to 15, up to 100, and then we're now on what is very clearly a trajectory from 100 down towards 15 again. That is the target. Now, we're currently mid-range, 55, 60. Uh, over the next few years, we're going to see silver outperform gold, and the gold-silver ratio moving down from 50 to 40 to 30. How does that happen? The gold-silver ratio can drop either because gold and silver both fall, but gold falls faster, which is not the case at the moment, or the gold-silver ratio can fall because both gold and silver rise, but gold is lagging behind silver, silver is outpacing gold, in which case gold loses ground. That is exactly what we're seeing now over this uh, longer-term period. And finally, there are, are occasional episodes where you can have gold drop and silver actually rise simultaneously, and then you have a very sharp drop in the gold-silver ratio. The targets for gold in 2000, and particularly April 2009, which is a beautiful point of symmetry within this 13-year climb, uh, is at 1,030, and the target for gold in 2010 is at 1,220. Both of these are price levels that are very significant and very uh, well and tightly related to each of the previous turning points that we've seen in gold since 2001 and uh, related also to the movement between 1976 and 1980. And so uh, the percentage gain from $800 where we are now up to 1,020, 1,030 is, uh, is only about 25%. For silver to reach its targets for the same sort of time frame of $25 first and then $40 thereafter uh, is exactly consistent with that gold-silver ratio uh, falling. The key to all of this movement this year has been actually the breakout on gold from the 730 level. I have a chart which is in the book, I have a chart which was in my, in my reports and when I gave the presentations uh, recently, which shows the last 35 years of gold uh, oscillating in a channel since 1980 down to 1998 and the recovery back up. The high in uh, May 2006, which I was very fortunate to have been interviewed by a magazine in Australia literally on the day that the high took place, and I had prepared that chart for the book, and I had said that it was going to be, and it was published in the magazine, that it was going to drop literally from that day 25% from 7.32 to 5.46, and the market delivered precisely that movement. Again, demonstrating that these symmetries are something that we need to look at because the market really adheres to them. That was a, a key turning point. The market has since recovered, and as soon as the market breaks out of that overhead barrier at 7.30, that was going to be the signal that we have moved into new territory on a long-term scale, and on a short-term scale, it's going to trigger a huge short-covering uh, movement and a, 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 an uploading of people jumping on the bandwagon of, of this new territory. And what happened when we broke 730 uh, uh, last month was we quickly popped to 750, came back to 730 in one or two-day uh, quick slide to tag it from above, and since then, we've surged up from 730 to 800 and, uh, and already up to 820, probably 830 by the time you know, uh, yeah. this, this comes to end. So the, uh, the, the reality is we're into new territory and we're on, a, on an upward path. Silver was lagging a little bit behind on a short
short-term scale over the last months, but the movement was predominantly the interest was in gold, possibly more from a fundamental reason than a technical reason related to some of the issues going on in Pakistan, the issues, you know, geopolitical type issues, and that gave a little bit of extra boost to gold. But because we know from the larger structure that silver will be outperforming gold, silver is very cheap right now relative to gold. The gold-silver ratio is backed up towards 60. That's a very, very interesting level to, to uh, prefer silver. You don't think we're in a kind of short-term blow-off phase here? Blow-off phase for which? Sorry? For gold and silver. They've kind of, they're going ahead of well, themselves. Well, sil silver has not even had the blow-off yet. It's well, just I mean, it was breaking like, out kind of now. 90 cents yesterday. Yeah, it's just breaking out now. Oh, okay. This is the this is the launch pad for a uh, sharp move up in silver, and uh, that's not to say that you can't you know back and fill and have a yeah. little choppiness. So silver is a volatile market, so you know you have to expect that there are days that are going to go up sharply and days that are going down sharply. But by the uh, middle of 2008, will be substantially higher, and very much by the middle of 2009, will be. $25 and, and possibly if it takes the fast route we'll be already at 40 I have to say I think we're going to see $1,000 gold by next spring and $22 silver but what do I know? David? Yeah I'll go in there with that sure I'm looking for $18 to $20 silver in 2008 easily 25 by 2009 $1,000 gold possibly in 2008 definitely in 2009 Good stuff thanks very much gents Thank you very much. I'm going to sign off. i got to get going, but uh, the website here is uh, silver-investor.com. Dominic, it's always a pleasure to be with you in London. Thank you so much. And uh, little David, do you want to give out your? Thank you. Uh, my uh, website is polarpacific.com, and uh, thank you also for this opportunity to speak with you. Commodity Watch Radio at mindsight.com. Michael Hampton, a.k.a. Dr. Bub, is talking to me all the way from Hong Kong. Hello, Michael. Hi, Dominic. You've been more bearish than most on gold and silver over these last two or three weeks, and it looks like we may have found a, an intermediate top at 8.45, close to the all-time high. Um, what's your opinion at the moment, Mike? Well, um, uh, you know, I still think we're going to see a downturn, um, and let me explain some reasons why. And then I'd, I'd like to come back and, and tell you what I've actually been doing in terms of my investments, because uh, although you talk about me being bearish, uh, I'm not exactly bearish. Uh, it's it's slightly more subtle than that. But anyway, let, let's talk about some reasons why you might have seen a turn. I mean, obviously, 850 is the all-time high-end gold, and we came oh so very close to that at 845. And yesterday was an important day because. Uh, one of the Chinese ministers uh, had had something to say about uh, the Chinese are going to be looking for a higher return on their enormous amount of reserves, which uh, they've got uh, currency reserves of 1.4, 1.5 trillion dollars, and they're going to be looking for higher returns. So that's obviously bad for things like the dollar and the dollar sold off. But look at the levels where we are. These are all such important levels. 845, which is very close to 850 and gold. We saw that yesterday. Nearly 100 on oil. We saw 98 and change yesterday. 210 on sterling. Now, I think 210 is a very important level for sterling, and I'll tell you why. In a word, the low on sterling in February uh, 1985, which was the low, was 105. So 210 is exactly twice that. And, you know, some other level, important levels on, on you know, other currencies as well. So 
Uh, the dollar, for example, broke through briefly. It broke below 76. And, you know, we're at a very number of these levels, and you often get important turns around these levels. So I think there's a fair chance we may have seen a turning point yesterday. And um, so we'll have to wait and see. I mean, doing this the day after is a bit a bit early. But what I, we might see from here is we might see the dollar begin to strengthen um, as 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 uh, stocks slide. I think we're in for further slides in the U.S. stock market from here because the market is really waking up to the possibility of stagflation in the U.S. And if we're seeing that, that's going to be very painful for the markets. Yeah, I mean, also, is, uh, in terms of your kind of your list of uh, um, of things that are at key levels, the, the S&P's kind of touching on it, or was a few couple of days ago, touching on its all-time highs as well, wasn't it? Well, it, it was a little bit below it. I mean, I think it's it's sort of made a right shoulder and, and you know, is now coming off and, you know, it's it's coming off on heavy volume. I mean, we should probably mention that, you know, the, the U.S., the Dow Jones was down over 300 points yesterday and pretty heavy selling. And, you know, it was interesting because usually a weak dollar has been good for the stock market. And yesterday was one of the first days where the market is sort of saying, hey, well, maybe maybe a weak dollar isn't that good because a weak dollar is going to mean more inflation. I think the yen is the important thing to watch here because the yen actually was strong uh, against the dollar. I mean, where are we around one 113, we got down to about 112. You know, I think the yen could continue to go up and, and test 110 and maybe even go beyond that. Um, and that will mean an unwinding of the carry trade, which is not so good for markets. Um, you know, a Hong Kong market was, was off 5% in one day. Uh, it was down about 900 points again today in uh, trading. Um, you know, there are a number of these markets um, Footsie's uh, down will be today. sold off. It's, FTSE's down today. Wall Street might have another down day today. Uh, I think this, th these equity sell-offs are going to go a little bit, f you know, maybe quite a bit further than they've gone so far. We could see a 10% drop or even more before this is over. Exciting stuff. Now, um, tell us about, Michael, tell us about, even though you've made you know, slightly bearish calls on gold and silver. Tell us about how you've actually played it yourself. Well, what I've said in, in these podcasts and, and also more extensively on the website is that, you know, I'm not short gold. Uh, you know, actually, I, I, I rarely have a position in gold at all. What, what, I, what I do trade is I trade gold stocks. I trade, I trade the miners. I even trade some exploration stocks. And I, I have a core position, which is uh, I've been whittling down as gold, uh, you know, as gold continued going up and, and the mining shares rose, you know, with them, but not to the exact, exact same extent. Some of them rose a little bit. Some of them rose uh, with it. Some, some didn't rise at all. But I've been selling into strength. So currently I've got something like 30% cash, which is, the highest cash level I think I've ever had. Um, I have a core position in some stocks I like, and you know I have some. Uh, that core position is in junior miners and exploration stocks. It's in oil stocks, and it's in a few special situations. And within that core position, my largest position is is Royal Gold, which which I really like here. 
but it's largely hedged. And, you know, it's also well off its highs. So my largest position has actually come down since I started talking about being, being bearish on gold. I'd hedged it. I'm now beginning to unwind those hedges as it's come down. So I'm in a very comfortable position here with a lot of cash, a few puts, and a nice core position in gold shares. Interesting stuff, Mike. Well, we'll we'll come back another time and we'll do another podcast very soon. Um, just uh, quickly uh, outline, we were talking with David Ben Simon and David Morgan. We were talking about cycles. I know cycles play a big uh, role in your trading strategy. Um, just give us a quick uh, outline on how you use them. I think of it as a tool in the toolbox, and you've got to have several tools that you're using at the same time. So I look at cycles, and I don't expect them to always be exactly the same length, but I do expect the pattern within the cycle to repeat. And that means at the peak, you're going to see a lot of excessively bullish sentiment. You're going to see people investing without thinking and calculating. At the bottom, you're going to see excessively bearish sentiment, people selling without thinking valuation. Um, so you basically need to see the sentiment and the cycles and the valuations and a number of other tools, uh, moving averages and so forth. You want to see those all line up at the same time. When they do, you often will see a turning point. Mm -hmm. But don't expect them to be right 100% of, of the time and don't throw away your risk control just because you think a cycle is peaking or bottoming. Excellent. Well, good stuff, Mike. Um, why don't you give out the website address? GlobalEdgeInvestors.com Excellent. And it sounds like uh, the builders have just moved in next door. <laughs> well, we're, I'm in a fairly new building here, and uh, there's been renovation going on constantly since I moved in here. Ah. Well, it's, it's still happening here in the UK, despite all the bearish pronouncements. <laughs> I mean, renovation, yeah. Well, renovation is happening, but I, I, I can't let you get off here without mentioning that today Halifax came out and reported a 1.5% drop in uh, UK property prices in October. And I, you know, I think that's the second month in a row, and I think it's the beginning of a string of very bad numbers for UK housing. There you go. And there's and my the builder again. <laughs> <laughs> right on cue. Michael Hampton, thanks very much. Thanks, Dominic. Speak to you soon. Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee for Mindsight with music by Manolo Camp. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our bulletin board at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com.